Uh, for those of you who may not know me, because I, I know that every time we're back, we see a lot of new faces. My name is Clip Suddeth. Um, it's really Clifford. Clip is a nickname that I've had since the day I was born. This is my wife Mary and our son Isaac here on the front row. And we grew up here. This is our home church. Uh, we're very uh, humbled and honored and excited and thankful to be back here this morning. So thank you for the opportunity. The Lord definitely has a sense of humor. When I was up here, I believe it was the last Sunday of December of last year, uh, Tommy and I sat up here and he kind of interviewed me, asked me some questions. And I remember afterwards, I went and sat back down about where Will and Desiree are. And I said, Lord, I'm never speaking in public again. I do not want to do this anymore. I said, Lord, I'll write, and if I'm going to speak, I'm just going to read whatever I write. But I, I'm done. I, I, um, I hope I don't feel that way this morning after I finish, but um, we'll see. The Lord definitely said, no, that's uh, not what I have planned for you. Anyhow, this morning in just a few minutes, we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 16. We're going to look at two verses, verses 4 and 5. Once again, I, I, I do want to thank you that you have had as a church and individuals in my life and, and Mary's life and in a lot of ways Isaac's life as well. I want to thank you for your heart for missions, for your support for missionaries, for your financial support, for your prayer support, for the encouragement that you give. It means a lot to us and it's important and I hope that we'll see that this morning. I also want to tell you that there are several Panamanian believers in Christ who said to tell you hello and that they love you in the Lord and that even though they don't know you, they're thinking about you this morning. And for the group that was with us in August, Nelson and Carolina specifically said hello and Sara said to tell you hello and others as well. So if you know any of them, they're thinking of you and, and praying for you this morning. What I want to do this morning, because I, I know this is an opportunity for us to update you about what's going on in Panama, but also this is a time where we gather together as a local church in order to hear from God's Word. And my struggle is, which is more important? And really the struggle isn't which is more important. I know what's more important is God's Word, but also know that you want to hear about some things in Panama. So... Here's my summary of what's going on in Panama. There is a gospel presence in Panama. Statistically, about 20% of Panama would be considered evangelical. However, the Panamanian church is not healthy. The Panamanian church is not healthy. Uh, what I compare this to is back earlier in the year, I went to the doctor with some issues, and the doctor started asking me some questions. And I said, no, you know, everything's fine with that and this and that. She said, well, I want to run some tests. And come to find out that what I thought was fine was not fine, was not normal. And I had an enlarged prostate. And thankfully it wasn't cancerous, but I had to have surgery to reduce my prostate. And I'm kind of embarrassed to talk about that now. But the point is this. A lot of times something's wrong with us. 
And because it's gradual, we don't know that anything's wrong. Until we receive a diagnosis, until we receive some tests. And my personal observation of the Panamanian church is they think everything's fine. But when you take the Panamanian church and you look at what the Bible says, there's something wrong. And so the Panamanian church, which we love very much, is not healthy. Additionally, where we live in an area called Costa Verde, which means green coast, there is no local church of any kind. And the truth is, as in any place in the world, there are many people who are lost and going to hell. I think of a young man named Jonathan, a 21-year-old, who cut my hair last Monday, and, and we were talking, or he was talking, and I was trying to listen, and uh, he was asking me questions about what we did and things like that. He started telling me his story. I asked him how long he'd been cutting hair. He said he'd been cutting hair for 10 years. And I said, but you're 21. He said, yeah, I began when I was 11, and he started to tell me how he started to cut hair and how he had been on his own without a mom or dad since the time he was 11. So then when I started to try to tell him the gospel and tell him about uh, the church that we're going to start next year, it was just a foreign concept to him. And thankfully, Jonathan is the guy who cuts my hair, so I'll see him again in January, and I'll continue to build a relationship with him. But when I think of Costa Verde, when I think of Panama, I think of people like Jonathan. And then from a standpoint as followers of Christ, David, I really like what you said uh, before the last song, wanting to draw near to the Lord. And I think, I'm just going to go down a side road for a second, in my own life at times, and I think this is true for a lot of us, we, we kind of draw this imaginary line in our lives, and, and our thought is, how close can I get to this line without doing wrong? How much can I get away with? When the real question is, how close can I be to the Lord? How close can I draw near to Him? And so when I think about the needs in Panama and so many places around the world, part of the issue is that God is not being worshipped as He deserves. God deserves our worship. So that's the problem in a nutshell. What's the solution? The solution is that we preach and we teach and we share the gospel. And I think part of that is we plant biblical, spiritual, healthy, local churches that plant other churches. And also, while we teach and we preach and we make disciples, we can prepare men to lead the church. We can prepare leaders in the church. And I think there's an urgency to this because Jesus is to be obeyed. We all know the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command. It's not an option. That's what we are commanded to do wherever we are. We need to make disciples. But also there's an urgency because people are lost and going to hell. And I think the opportunities everywhere are great. Specifically, I have my, in my mind this morning, Costa Verde, where we live, the opportunities in a quickly growing community. And I think of somebody like Victor, and, and I believe I, I may have told you his story before, but Victor is a 44-year-old year, 44 year man who is a pilot with Copa Airlines. He's from Mexico. He grew up in a city of over a million people. And I was meeting with him, and we were talking. And a well-educated, intelligent man with money 
growing up in a large city, had never heard the gospel. He had never heard of a Baptist. He'd never met a pastor or a preacher. Not that you have to hear of Baptist in order to be a Christian. I'm not saying that at all. But my point is that a lot of time when we think of the gospel and the needs, we think of those unreached places. But yet, the gospel needs are everywhere. It's with this context that we go to the book of Acts. And I believe that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the foundation for the whole book. And I believe a paraphrase of this verse is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the world. So my summary of this verse, my, what I would say is the foundation or the basis for the book of Acts is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to be witnesses of Jesus to extend His kingdom throughout the world. Once again, we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, are to be His witnesses to extend His kingdom throughout the world. And I think as we look in the beginning of the chapters, the gospel is, first of all, proclaimed in Jerusalem and in Samaria. And then in chapter 8, excuse me, it's first proclaimed in Jerusalem and Judea. And then in chapter 8, the gospel is taken to Samaria. And then for the first time in chapter 10, Peter proclaims the gospel to Gentiles, and Gentiles are saved. And then when you get to Acts chapter 11, we have believers who are not apostles, who are not the original disciples of Jesus, who take the gospel to the city of Antioch. And so by now in Antioch, we're getting to the ends of the earth. So we see that the gospel has success. And so the gospel is now in Antioch. In Antioch, this church in Antioch becomes the center of missions. And in chapter 13, we see that the Holy Spirit and the local church send out Paul and Barnabas as the first missionaries. So in chapters 13, 14, They're on their first missionary journey. At the end of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch and they share with the church in Antioch all that God did in chapters 13 and 14 on their first missionary journey. Chapter 15 of the book of Acts, there's the Jerusalem council where there's this question in Antioch because some believers from Jerusalem came to Antioch and said, okay, you can be saved if you're circumcised. But if you're not circumcised according to the law of Moses, You can't be saved. So there's a big debate about this. And so a group of people, they go back to Jerusalem and they meet to discuss this issue. And basically the answer is, no, that's not the case. We're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And so now they take this message back to the church in Antioch and everybody's encouraged by this news. We don't have to follow the law of Moses. It's by grace through faith. And now... Some of the men go back to Jerusalem, and Paul says to Barnabas, Hey, Barnabas, let's go back to the churches that we first saw on our first missionary journey and just see how the brothers are doing. Well, Barnabas, he wants to take Mark with them. Paul says, I'm not taking that little guy with me. No way. He left us the first time. He bailed on us. And the Bible says there's such a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul that they split up. And Barnabas... And Mark go to Cyprus, the island, part of the places where Paul and Barnabas went in chapter 13. And Paul, he now gets Silas, and they go to visit other churches. 
And along the way, they pick up Timothy. And now we get to chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. And the reason that Paul is taking this trip is because he wants to encourage the brothers who were saved on his first trip. So in Acts chapter 16, let's look at verses 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That's chapter 15, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. What did Paul do on his missionary journeys? What was his pattern of ministry? What was his method of operation? He did a lot of things, but basically I, could, I think we can summarize it in three things. Number one, Paul preached the gospel. Everywhere he, rent, he went, he preached the gospel. And so then we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is the gospel? Because nowadays there can be some confusion about what is the gospel. First of all, let me tell you what the gospel is not. And I mean this kindly. The gospel is not your personal testimony. We need to be clear about that. We can use our personal testimony when we're presenting the gospel. But if all I do is say, hey, the Lord changed my life. I'm so thankful for what Jesus did for me. I was, I was miserable before now, and now I'm happy, and there's a difference in my life. Once again, that's not the gospel. Nobody knows what to do with that other than, okay, good for you. We need the gospel. Paul preached the gospel. So what is the gospel? In the book of Acts, there are things that we see time and time again when the gospel is presented. First of all, there's always a message that you're a sinner and you need to repent of your sins. And so it's not shying away. It's not trying to make somebody feel good. First of all, if we need to know that we need salvation, we've got to know that there's something from which we need to be saved. And so we need to know that we're sinners. And so there's this message of we have sinned against a holy God. And then in the gospel presentation, there is always who is Jesus. There's an explanation of who Jesus is. And if you read the book of Acts, you see this is presented in different ways, depending on who they're speaking to. For instance, among the Jews, there's a great emphasis on Jesus is Messiah. And there's a lot of proof from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah, who Jesus is. But then, for instance, if you go to Acts chapter 17, and Paul is in the city of Athens, he doesn't start with the Old Testament. He starts with their philosophers, and he brings them to the gospel, and he explains to them who Jesus is, but in a different way. But it's still the same message, but it's just that Paul understands who he's talking to. And you and I, as believers, when we're sharing the gospel, we need to understand to whom we are speaking so we can better present to them who Jesus is. But there's always a message about who Jesus is. There's always the message that you need to repent of your sins and you need to turn to Him. There's always a great emphasis in the resurrection and our hope in the resurrection. But wherever Paul went, he preached the gospel. And as he preached the gospel, some people were saved and some people rejected the gospel. 
I think that's an application for us. When we're presenting the gospel, there will be, at times there will be people who receive the gospel with joy and they're truly saved. And there will be other people who reject the gospel, who want nothing to do with it. And something that's interesting to me, when you look at the book of Acts, oftentimes two motives for rejecting the gospel are jealousy and greed. Jealousy and greed. But they reject the gospel. So as we're presenting the gospel, some people will accept Others will reject. It's not our responsibility to decide who will. Our responsibility is to take every opportunity we can to share the gospel with whomever we can. But as a result of that, what Paul did as he preached the gospel is he planted churches. And then the third thing that Paul did in his method of operation was that he strengthened the churches that he planted. Well, how did Paul strengthen these churches? I think there are four things that he did. Uh, Just real quickly, and I'm kind of giving you a summary of the book of Acts up to this point. First of all, he actually visited the churches. It wasn't just, he wrote letters. Obviously, we have his letters in the Bible to churches. But one thing that he did was he actually went face to face to see the brothers in Christ and see how they were doing. He said to Barnabas at the end of chapter 15, hey, let's go see the brothers and see how they're doing. So we strengthen churches when we see them. And I'm thinking in a missions context right now because over the past several years there's been this great emphasis on unreached people groups. And please do not hear what I'm not saying. There needs to be an emphasis on unreached people groups. But the problem is is that with this emphasis on unreached people groups we have started to neglect the places that have already been reached so that the reached places are now becoming unreached. And so we can't neglect past work done. We need to strengthen the churches. And that's what Paul did. He went, he did the pioneer work of presenting the gospel, of planting churches, but then he went back to strengthen the churches. So One way he strengthened them was he actually visited them. A second way is he encouraged them to continue in the faith. He continued to teach God's word to them. Number three, he was clear and honest about the tribulations in life as a Christian. At the end of chapter 14, Paul has just been stoned. Imagine that. You're stoned. Not on drugs, but he's literally has stones thrown at him. I realized what some people may think as I said that. He's just been almost killed. And the following verses say, he got up and he went and encouraged. He, the one who had just been almost killed, encouraged the believers, hey, by the way, in this life as a Christian, it's not going to be easy. You're going to go through hard times. But he was honest with them. But that was a way that he strengthened the church, just to understand our situation, the reality of the world in which we live. But number four, he spoke the gospel and God's truth to them. I think it's important for us to understand today that yes, we need the gospel for salvation. But the gospel is so much more than a moment in the past. The gospel affects every day of our lives. And every day we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. The grace of God apart from anything that we can do. 
that we are dependent upon His mercy and His love and the work of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And oftentimes in the past, I thought it was as if I knew that there was nothing I could do to earn my salvation. I knew it was only by grace through faith. But it was as if God would say to me, okay, Clip, now that you're saved, it's up to you to live the Christian life in your own power. And we can't do it. Every day we need the gospel. In Acts chapter 16, the verses that we read, it says, He went through the cities. He delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So I think we see Paul's desire here. I think we see a missionary's desire here. I think we see a Christian's desire here to deliver the decisions for observance. And for the sake of time, let me just summarize what I think that means. Specifically here, he's talking about the decision made by the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. But basically... We could sum up that decision as in, no, you don't work for salvation. It's by grace through faith. And so what we do is, a missionary's desire is we deliver the gospel so that it is applied in one's life. It's not this so we have the gospel message. It says here that Paul delivered it for observance. Hey, I'm telling you these things so that you obey it. So when we gather together as a church... We don't just come together as a church to hear a nice message or to even be challenged or to be made, made to be feel guilty. We come here to be changed by God's Word. We come here to be taught God's Word so then we can say, okay, I need to work on this area in my life, but I can't do it on my own. God, I need your grace to help me. But I want to obey what I learned today. And we study the Bible on our own. But delivered the decisions for observance. Real quickly, what were some of the results of Paul's ministry? As I said earlier, some people were saved and others rejected the gospel. But churches were planted and churches were strengthened. And in chapter 16, verse 5, it says, They, that is the churches, increased in numbers daily. In other words, the church grew. Now, I don't think we can say if a church grows numerically that that automatically means success in God's eyes. Nor can we say that if the church doesn't grow numerically that that means we've not been successful in God's eyes. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who gives the increase. But our, our responsibility, our privilege, is to preach the gospel to plant churches, to strengthen churches so that they grow. And where they grow or don't grow is in the hands of the Lord. What are some applications for us personally today and as a local church? As Mile Straight Baptist Church, what are some applications for us? I have five. Number one, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to be witnesses of Jesus to extend His kingdom in the world. Once again, 
we as a local church, and by that I mean as individuals, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are to be witnesses of Jesus to extend His kingdom. Whether that be in Saudi Daisy or Hickson or Chattanooga or in Panama or in Venezuela or in Morocco or in China, wherever. We live in such a way to extend God's kingdom. Number two, this is simple, but I think it's important to remember. As Christians, we are to receive the Word of God so that we obey it. Number three, and I think this could be a whole series of messages in and of itself. As Christians, we cannot separate our individual lives from the local church. Sadly, I have heard people say, and, and I understand their, their logic in a lot of ways, that they may say, oh, I've been in church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. I can worship Jesus on my own. I can follow Jesus on my own. I can have a relationship with Him on my own. I don't need the church. It may sound logical, but sadly, it's not biblical. You can't. You can't separate Jesus from His church. And when you look at just one example, in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go strengthen the brothers. And then verse 41, Luke writes, they strengthened the churches. It's as if Luke is using brothers or individuals in Christ in the church, the local church, as synonymous terms. We cannot separate our individual lives as believers from the local church. We need the local church. Number four, we as a church must proclaim the gospel, plant new churches, and strengthen existing churches. And number five, as Christians, we trust the results of our faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. Our responsibility is to be faithful and to obey the Lord. And, and I'll close with this story. We, by God's grace, are going to start a church in Costa Verde next year, February 2nd of 2020. I can tell you so much about that, but that's not the purpose of this morning. But three weeks ago, I was walking one morning, and I was praying, and I said, Lord, I don't want to fail. Because I'll be honest with you, the idea of starting a church, it excites me. But if my focus is not straight on the Lord, it scares me to death. I said, Lord, I do not want to fail. I don't want to fall on my face. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass you. God, I need your help. And it was as if the Lord said to me, once again, it wasn't an audible voice. It was just His peace, the assurance of His Word. 
in my heart. It was as if he said, Clip, if you are faithful to me, if you trust me, if you obey me, you cannot fail. Because the results are up to him. And I think we as individuals and as a local church need to understand this point very clearly. We are to preach the gospel. We are to make disciples, plant churches, strengthen existing churches. That's our task. It's not an option. But in that, we can trust the Lord that He's the one who does the work. So I want to once again say thank you. I want to encourage you to continue and also want to remind you, to challenge you, to exhort you. Don't lose your focus. And if you don't have that focus, get it back. Share the gospel. Plant churches. Strengthen existing churches. And leave the results up to the Lord. Let's pray.